This is always a good sign when I see people come in that were here last week and didn't have a box of tomatoes, so thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> By grace and grace alone, that is for sure. That is where we live our Christian lives. It's by grace. Last week we talked about that grace. and We talked about justification. This week we're going to talk about the deeper life. And sanctification is our big word. I know it's a Christian term. um, But it just means uh, to be set apart. And we're going to be talking about the life that is the set-apart life. So if you would, I'd like to pray first, and then we'll dive in. Dear Lord, we are glad that you're with us. Help us to take things um, from this sermon and from your word, and may you change us and make us more Christ-like starting today. Some of us have started a while back. Help us to continue and to do so with great joy and great um, anticipation with what you have done, what you will do, and what um, you are doing. May we praise you, and may we honor you in the way we live. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So revival, I think, is important. Um, Most people, I don't know, have, it seems to be a a subject that has disappeared for some reason. Maybe they're using different terms for it. Anyway, um, when I was a younger Christian, uh, the concept of um, the Exodus and what takes place there and applying that to our lives today was very important to me. So that's why I'm sharing it with you. So, just, um, sanctification, it's a, I'm going to use it, I'm going to use the metaphor of the um, exodus as a way of, of describing different parts of our Christian life. So God brings his people out of Egypt, and, and thank you again, um, Bethany and Tom, for doing a great job of reading that. Um, I was thrilled when they said that they would, because I was like, wow, great. That like trimmed off 10 minutes. Um, So uh, the metaphor of the Exodus is God moving his people. And that's what our lives are all about, isn't it? We are God's people, and he's moving us. And how he moves us is um, very different, because I'm on a different place and this was part of my struggle when I was preparing for this sermon, was each one of us in here are in completely different places than one another. And my stories, I can tell stories from my life that could um, represent sanctification nicely, but they would be my stories and it'd be kind of like about Jim. And I don't think that's all that great. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for not saying amen to that. Um, appreciate that. Um, but... I thought it would be a lot better if we used a biblical story and then applied that to our lives today. So, um, God sends Moses, and last week we talked about the burning bush, but he sends Moses to Pharaoh. 
And God displays his power to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian people. Why does he do it? So that they will know that he alone is God. I loved, I loved what they said. You can be sure. And this is God speaking. You can be sure that I have seen the misery of my people. We need a God like that, don't we? I don't know about you, but in my world, um, I could go in the same day, even in the same hour, as feeling like, hey, I'm going to take the whole world um, on. I've got no problem. I'm, I'm with Jesus. I'm flying high. And like five minutes later, someone sends me a note that says, I need to talk to you. And then we go, what? Oh, my gosh. There's something bad, right? Yeah. So we need a God that hears our misery and, and, and hears us and sees us. So he saw the misery of his people in Egypt, and he had heard their cries of deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. God hears and sees his people. Not only does he hear and see, but we have a God that's a living God, and so he gets involved in our lives personally, individually, and in our way that we can best handle things. It's great. Because it's nice that God didn't just come to me and he goes, you know, Jim, you've got a whole lot of stuff to work on. I'm going to dump all this stuff on you now. Would I have gotten very far in my Christian life? No, I would have been laying out on the floor going, I don't even know where to start, Lord. But that's not the way he does things. He's very gracious in how he works with us. So he, um, he gives us a little bit to deal with at a time. And I praise God for that. I'm going to use Egypt as the concept of um, the world. The New Testament uses the term world when you read through it. Um, the sinful life of the past. And I'm going to be using Egypt in that way. What are the slave drivers? Well, the slave drivers we talked about last week, didn't we? Did you remember Titus 3.3, where we talked about our lives before Christ? Remember? Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Those were our slave drivers. Sin is our slave driver, right? And it drives us. But no longer. Why? Because we are saved. God has saved us. So God sees our suffering. And if you notice, our term is in blue here. For those of you that like to fill out those notes, um, look for the blue words. Those are your clue to uh, fill in the notes. And then this part where I have an asterisk, um, that's kind of like a prayer. I want us to think of those as prayers. So in my life, when I have things that are difficult that happen, I think this would be a great thing to say. Lord, you've made me free from this whatever is going on in your life. Maybe it's a particular sin that you're struggling with. Name that sin. Put it right in there. Okay? Say, Lord, I'm glad that you made me free from this sin that I was thinking about doing. Give me freedom. And thank you, Lord, for getting rid of the slave drivers in my life. God displays his power. He displays his power to Pharaoh. I think that that is a question that every non-Christian asks. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Who is the Lord? 
If you say that, I guarantee that God will show you who the Lord is. <laughs> as he's done with me, and as I'm sure he's done with some of you. If I asked you, could you tell me one way that God has shown himself to you? Could you hold your hand up and tell me that what that is? Yes, you could, couldn't you? I could. I have like a thousand stories of how he's shown. He is the Lord. But Pharaoh, he says, who, who is he that I should listen to him? So the Lord makes himself known. He did, um, he did miracles for Pharaoh, but Pharaoh refused to listen to him. So he goes, okay, no problem. We'll get on that bus. Slams the door shut and he goes, I'll show you what I can do and I'm going to show your entire land. And not only will you suffer, but your entire land and your entire people are going to suffer. And you will know who's in charge. The gods that you have in front of you, they're not going to protect you. You'll have no refuge with them. I, alone, am God. He is the God of gods. So each plague, and I find this interesting, each plague was specifically designed, and I love this, to dismantle each one of the Egyptian gods. So they held on to this Egyptian god for this purpose of maybe good crops. Well, God's going to say, nope, I'm going to show you you're not going to get good crops. Another one was held on to for other reasons, and he brought plague after plague to just show them. The gods that you're holding on to are useless. They are not gods. They're the things that you have created. I, the Lord, am God. So he dismantles their gods before their very eyes with every one of the plagues. Why is this important to us today? I don't know about you, but I need a mighty God in my life. Because I become afraid, don't you? Like I said, one minute I could be flying high with the Lord. The next minute, I could be pretty low, thinking, where are you? (laughs) Pardon me. And it's sad that we're that way, but we are. I wish I could say I wasn't. I wish I could say I was perfect and I just, you know, um, was very, uh, my emotions didn't go up and down so much, but they do. And it seems to be the way that we're made. So sanctification is God dismantling. Okay? God is dismantling the things in our lives. What are you holding on to for your security? Is it an image? Is it an image of yourself? Is it an image of who you are as a, as a, in your work? Is it the car you drive? What are those things that we hold on to that we, uh, we think are, 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 are our identity? What are we holding on to? God's going to want to dismantle those. He's going to want to remove those so that God is God. He is the one that's in the right place in our lives. We need to make sure that as we go through this, think about that. Is there something that I'm holding on to for security? And then I would um, encourage you to let go and give it to the Lord. He showed that he was in charge of all aspects of our lives through as we go through this. He, he is in charge. He is the one we follow. He is the one that we work with. 
to change our lives. Remember last week we talked about God did all the work in justification. Now in sanctification, it's us doing what? Does anybody remember from last week? No? We are cooperating with him to change ourselves. Yeah, so this, this is where we get involved. We're going, to get with, we're going to work with the Lord and open ourselves up to a change. And God will change us. But we have to cooperate with him. Because what is he doing? He is the one that is molding us into his son, to be like his son, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is what sanctification is all about. He is mighty and mightier than anything in our lives. We need to remind ourselves of this on a daily basis. So I wrote this, this like little prayer. My Father, or Lord, you are mightier than And whatever that is at that moment of your struggle in that day, just repeat that. You are mightier than my boss calling me into his office. Okay? God, you are mightier than I just lost my job. You are mightier than that. Now, the one plague I found interesting is the plague of darkness. And I don't know if anyone remembers that. But the plague of darkness lasted for three days. Could you imagine being in darkness for three days? I mean, it would be like living up in, in, the, in Alaska. Yeah. In northern Alaska. And, just, and not even seeing the sun come up. There's, you, know, you don't even get a chance to see the... It says in the Bible that there was so much darkness they didn't even know. They couldn't even see each other or, or see things. Um, so three days of darkness... And then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. How? Because he let the light shine as usual to his people, Israel. I find that interesting. He makes a distinction between us and the world. We are his people. And I find it fascinating that here's this plague of darkness that is permeating the, the, whole, the whole country of Egypt, and yet this place where the Egyptians, I'm sorry, where the Israelites are, is all lit. Wow. He's showing them that he is the Lord. He has the power even over light. Wow. That's incredible. He said that I will free you from your um, oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt with my powerful and great acts of judgment. It's important that we understand and we um, make a distinction here. We are his people. He has us in the light. We are living in the light with him. Of course I wonder... Was there an Israelite, do you think, that was living in Egypt with the other Egyptians and it was dark and he was living in the darkness? Do you think that could have been? Might that have been the case? That kind of reminds me of the guy that says, no, I don't need to go to church. Me and Jesus, we're good, right? Well, he's out living in the darkness because you can't live outside the community. You need to be involved in a community of believers. Um. So yeah, I, I, I find that kind of an interesting idea. And I think here, 
um, my prayer would be, I will live in the light with you and follow you. I'll live in the light with you and follow you wherever you want to take me. Jesus said what? And that's the fascinating part. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Christ is our light. He teaches us through his word and that we may be that we may be his. We may know him and we may trust him and we may place our fears and our anxieties and all of our, our worries that we have for each day need to be placed in his powerful hands to do with as he sees fit. So what is he saying to us? Live in the light and don't be afraid to leave Egypt. God sees his people suffering. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come to rescue them from the land of Egypt and lead them out of Egypt into their own good and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land. The land is, is blessings. For us in our world, in our Christian experience, the land is when we die, we're going to be with Christ complete, fully um, fully known to him and having him fully known to us. We will, um, we will enter a state of being with him that he would, um, that we'll be at peace and we'll be content. And that part that seems missing in our lives right now, it will be filled. He will fill it. So my prayer here is, thank you, Lord, for seeing and hearing me. I will say that he is, he wants us to leave Egypt. And he wants to lead us out of Egypt. What would I say that our Egypt is? The biggest thing in our Egypt is probably the thing that we're all mostly preoccupied with. What are we mostly preoccupied with? Ourselves. Yeah, us. I want what I want. I want my rights. Yeah. Well, he's going to help us refine us and make us more like his son. Point of interest. I find that, and I had to mention this, it really is, um, I think, too powerful to not. The Passover. The Passover happens after the darkness. So the light comes to them, and then the next plague is death. And God says, not only can I control light, not only am I the God of light, but I am also the God of life and death. And you're going to find out what that means. The Passover was celebrated by sacrificing a male, a sheep or goat, with no, with no imperfections. And none of the bones would be broken. They'd eat the Passover standing up, fully dressed, as if they were going to go on a journey. They were to take the blood of the sacrifice and put it on the doorposts. And God said that when I see the blood on the doorposts, on the, on the door, I will pass over it and the plague of death will not touch you. I, I, I just, 
I know that this is kind of sad in a way because something has to die, but that's the way it is. When we sin, something's going to have to die. And if you'd like, we could even go back to Genesis, to the garden. They sin, what happens? It says God clothed them in skins of animals. Why? Something had to die to cover them. You're not going to be covered without the blood. And God here is saying, yep, something's going to have to die for your sins. And so he said, when the blood that's covering the door, I will pass over it and you will have life. And those that don't will have death. I find that this is super important. Why? Because Christ is the light of the world. He comes to our world, right? He is the light. He proclaims the gospel. He, he ministers to people and does all the things that he does. And then afterward, what happens? The Passover. Jesus is our lamb. He's the one that died for us. And so the story of the Exodus is really the story about Christ and the story of us. It's our story. Christ is the light of the world. He came and he dies on the cross. He's our Passover lamb. Now the interesting thing here is that the here's my prayer. This is not my home. We're in Egypt. We're in the world. We live in a place that's hostile to Christianity and hostile to Christ. And we are just foreigners passing through. And that's okay. Uh, Here's the point of decision I need you to think about. If you were living in Egypt, would you want to stay? Sure. Who wouldn't? They had everything, right? They were like the most powerful country in the world. They didn't have internet and iPhone, but, you know, they had their equivalent of it, right? Whatever that might be. Um, Are you going to keep straddling the fence? Is part of you going to kind of want to keep living the Egyptian life? And the other part of you with your foot on the other side of the fence living the Christian life? You need to decide because God's not going to let you go any further. If you are his people, you need to make a decision. And, and, I, and I pull this out of Romans. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. You don't have to stay in Egypt. Get out. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you, through this power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. What is that? We're following the Lord into the promised land, right? He's working on us little by little. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Children of God. We are children of the mighty one, the mightiest of ones. The God of God, the Lord of lords. The one that controls light, death, life, and everything else in between. Doing things God's way means that we're going to have to discipline ourselves to do things God's way. We're not going to want to go. We want to stay where it's nice and soft and cushy. But God's going to make us go through some hard things. And those hard things, we have to discipline ourselves. 
And we have to discipline ourselves to put God first. And so my prayer here and my question to you is, Christian, are you going to follow God's way? Or are you going to continue in your self-centeredness? Are you all in? I realize that we all have things that we want to do, but the Lord does need to come first. I know I, I know, because, you know, you would say, like I would say, or my wife would say, we would say, but Lord, I've got a list of things I've got to get done, right? I don't have time to go. Well, the Lord's going to have you do things, and sometimes we have to put aside our list to do what the Lord does. That's part of the discipline. Yes, we're going to have to discipline ourselves to pray, and yes, we're going to have to discipline ourselves to to uh, read the Bible. So, we're going to follow the Lord to the promised land. The people of Israel finally leave Egypt. God leads his people through, pardon me, God leads his people out of the land. The Lord said to Moses, and you heard them read, hold up your staff and the water parts, the water parts, and we're talking, wow. Let's see, God is the God of light, he's the uh, the God of life and death. He's the God that can part waters, and not only part waters, but he's going to make it nice for us to walk through so we don't have to trudge through the mud. He makes it all nice and dry so we can walk through on dry land. <laughs> Would you walk through there if you were them? <laughs> I mean, you're... I don't know how tall the, the, the water would be, but it would, any water that's over my head could be scary, wouldn't it? I mean, just think, as high as this building, you have a wall of water that's higher, or higher than this building, just on one side and another one on the other side, and you're going to walk through. Well, we do have dry land. Hey, we know that that's a miracle, right? There's dry land, so we can walk through. Do we follow God? Now, one thing we left off on the story is that the Egyptians are pursuing us and trying to kill us, right? So they're following us from behind. So here we are. Do we follow God? And once we get in there, how are you going to feel? I'm going to feel a little uncomfortable about the fact that this could all collapse in on me, right? That's scary. Um, Are there times in our lives where we've gotten in that position? We're out there in the dry land and we're in the middle? And we go, whoa, this is really deep, and this is scary, Lord. Oh, yeah. But going through the sea is an image of us dying to our self-centeredness. Does that make sense? It's like baptism, where as we go through the sea, we are saying, Lord, I'm following you, I'm leaving Egypt behind, and I'm going to follow you no matter what, even though I'm scared to death. So, God rescues his people. That's our other word that we'd want to fill in on our notes. Here's my prayer. Lord, I'll do it your way, not my way. Please help me with the fear. Please help me with this because I'm afraid. Going to the promised land. God feeds them manna. He reveals himself. What happens? What are the people doing? They're complaining. (laughs) 
<laughs> do we do a lot of complaining as people? Do we? Do we complain a lot? Yeah, we do, don't we? I was really put out by this one guy that got in front of me on the freeway. Really? The freeway's how big? And how long? <laughs> and how much difference is it going to make time-wise? You know? So God, um, so, we comp- so he hears the people's complaints, and God puts up with their complaints. And then they get to the promised land, and they send out that um, spies for 40 days. Um, Caleb and Joshua took God at, their, at his word when they said, let's go in at once and take the land. They took him at his word. They saw the miracles he did. They were like, hey, listen, this is the God of life and death and light and water and everything we've seen. He can do this. This is not hard for him. Even though it looked impossible to them because the people were, there were big people there. And there were a lot of them. And their cities were fortified and all that. And what did the other ones say when Joshua and Caleb said that? They said, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. Does that happen in our lives? Sure it does. I have that happen in my daily life quite often. I feel like someone's stronger, someone's bigger. I might be bullied by somebody. Maybe it's, you know, a pain in the, a pain in the neck at, off, at your office or where you work. Maybe it's your husband, right, Jane? <laughs> that was a joke, people. You can really laugh at these. It's, it, it is okay, seriously. Um, <laughs> but the God that saves them, that's the kind of God we need. And we need to keep our mind on that kind of God. He is a great God. So down at the bottom I put, we walk with the Lord We walk with the Lord of the impossible. He is the Lord of the impossible. Our impossibility is God's opportunity, right? To show who he is again. You want me to say that one more time? Okay. Um, Our impossibility is God's opportunity to show who he is once more. So the people, what do they want at this point? The people want to go back to Egypt. They want out. There was a chorus of complaining. We wish we had died in Egypt or even in the wilderness. And they continued, let us get out of here and return to Egypt. What are they saying? They're saying, God, we don't trust you. We're not putting our faith in you. And what, is, and what, is, what does God say? How long will these people reject me? Wow. Hold on here. Wasn't it just Caleb and Joshua? Wasn't it Caleb and Joshua, the ones that said, hey, we can go in and take the land? They're the ones that were talking, weren't they? Well, they did. They picked up stones to go and stone them, but God shone his presence over the tabernacle, which stopped them from stoning all of these guys and running back to Egypt. I don't know what they were thinking, but, well, that's emotionalism for you, isn't it? When we get emotionally driven. Oh, my gosh, this is all bad. We're going down the tubes. Let's run back to Egypt. And so, 
The Lord, I find it interesting, when his people are attacked, he takes it personally. Do you notice that? Caleb and, and, and Joshua, Aaron, and Moses were the ones saying, yeah, we should go take the land. So why didn't they say, how long will these people reject you? For, But no, that's not what they, God said, is it? God said, they attack my people. They're attacking me. Do we need to remember that? Is that important for us to know? That God is personally invested in me and you and each of us here? And that when someone attacks you, you will know. Don't worry. Don't worry. Leave it in God's hands. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to be rude back. You don't have to do any of those things. Just let it go. Why? Because God will take care of it. He's the one. Leave it in God's hands. God, don't worry. (laughs) God hasn't missed that. He hasn't missed anything. He knows what they've done. Even the yeah, even the guy that cut you off in the in the um, on the freeway, he's well aware of that. You don't need to say anything about it. You don't need to yell at them. Just use that as an opportunity to say, Lord, thank you for freeing me from the slave drivers. Maybe that would be a better thing to say than what you have been saying. Could it be? So use that as an opportunity to say, Lord, thank you for delivering me from the slave drivers. So God places value on us and he places the greatest value on our faith and trust in him. It all comes down to that. Will you trust him? Will you place your faith in him? And here's my prayer for this one. Lord, I'm afraid, but yet I will trust you. You may have to say that a thousand times in a day. It's okay. Any of these prayers, you may have to do a thousand times, and that's all right. Praise God. Just keep talking to him. That's a part of living the life with Christ. That is the deeper life with Christ, part of it at least. God pardons. Now notice, God pardons, but they still receive what? Their unintended consequences. Did they want to die in the desert? No. They wanted to go to the promised land. But did they want to do it God's way? No. They wanted to do it their way. God says, not acceptable. You will do it my way or you won't do it. They go, well, then we'll go back to Egypt. And he goes, no, you're not going to go back to Egypt. You're going to die in the desert. Do we want to die in the desert as Christians? No. No, we don't. He pardoned them, right? Moses interceded for them, but the people still received the consequences. And that's the case. Sometimes God will take away the consequences, and I praise God for those times, believe me, and sometimes he allows us to have those unattended consequences. And that's okay, because that's what he uses to change us. He usually uses the inconvenient and difficult things in our lives to make changes in us. And he, these words are scary to me. Now turn around and go. Wow. Do you want God to say that? Here's the Christian equivalent. You ready? Well done, good and faithful servant. 
Is that what you want to hear when you get and see him face to face? Yeah, that's exactly what I want to hear. Do I want to have him talk to me about the way I've treated you? Or, you know, what I mean by you is I mean, if I've treated someone poorly, do I really want to talk to him about that? He's not going to let it go. So I can either go to them and talk to them personally. I had this one lady at work. I don't know why. But every um, about the last month of school, she would just get ugly. She was just mean to me every year. And finally, one year I was in the shower and I was praying and, and I was talking to the Lord and the Lord goes, I want you to talk to her today. I didn't hear those words, but I felt that inside. And I went, okay, are you really sure, Lord? I don't think you really want me to do that. <laughs> She's not nice. <laughs> he goes, no, I want you to. I said, Lord, can you meet me halfway? I'll tell you what. When I drive into the parking lot, have her drive into the parking lot at the same time and we can walk in together and then it'll be an easy kind of transition to, to move into that. He goes, I'm with you. Get going. I go, pull into the parking lot. Guess who's pulling in right with me? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I knew it, Lord. I knew you really wanted me to talk to her and pray, and I'm thanking you for doing it. So when I walked in, we talked momentarily, and I followed her into her room, and then I said, is there something I've done to offend you? And I'd really like to apologize to you. I'd like to ask, and these are the words I say, the hard words, not the easy ones. I'm sorry. No, no, no. As a Christian, I'm a mature Christian. I stepped in and I said, I'd like to ask your forgiveness to whatever I've done to you that has made you angry with me. Because apparently you get angry with me every year about this time. I said, I don't know if you noticed that. She said, I noticed that. She said, I don't know why I do it. And so I prayed with her when we were done. And I asked her forgiveness. I said, please forgive me. And she said, Thank you for coming in. And we prayed, and then, I, and then I left. That's God's way. It's not my way. But that's God's way. So he wants us to do that. Why? Because I'm in a relationship with him, right? He's making us to be more like his son. We're supposed to be more Christ-like. So... Has she been that way since? No, actually, she's been great ever since we had that opportunity to do that. But sometimes we have to face our, the things that we don't want to do. And yes, there are unintended consequences that sometimes take place. But if we feel that we have a, a difficulty between you and I, just step out in faith. Go talk to them and ask their forgiveness. Even if you're not wrong. Even if you're right. Ask their forgiveness and you'll be surprised. But it's important that we understand that concept. Now, God's people, I think we can go beyond that. God's people will serve the Lord. Why did I put all these shovels up there? Well, if you're Caleb or, or Joshua, you did what was right with the Lord. Is that correct? Didn't they do the right thing? They wanted to go in and take the land. But what happened? They got stuck going back out in the wilderness for 40 years with these people that were complaining, right? 
So what did Joshua and Caleb do for 40 years? Buried a lot of people. Caitlin and I figured it out. I figured out what it was, but it was like a thousand a week. So you're out there digging, burying people, comforting those that, uh, that have lost loved ones, and burying people. God is still providing food and water for them. But, he's, but the, your job is to be out in the desert. Now, your job as Caleb or Joshua or Christian, right, me, where are we? We're out there in the desert for 40 years digging, digging graves, burying people, comforting the lost, those that have lost the loved ones. And you're going, wow, that seems awfully harsh of God. This is only for the older people, by and large. <laughs> <laughs> the older people, the people that were over 20, those are the ones that were killed off in the desert. That's still a whole lot of people. I think it's like 100,000 people or something like that. So you're, you're, does your life feel that way sometime, that you're just burying people? You're just doing this drudgery, this hard work, and it never seems to go anywhere? It seems to be the same old thing every day? You ever feel that way? Yeah? No? Yes? No? Yes? All right. Yeah, me too. But guess what? We're following the Lord. So we just keep shoveling. We just keep shoveling until God tells us to move on. Right? And God ultimately does. He ultimately does. When Moses dies, um, then he, he, sa- he says, okay, now Joshua and Caleb you and the rest of the remaining Israelites will go into the promised land. So when it starts to feel like we've been burying people for 40 years in our lives and you've been struggling with something over and over again, don't worry, the Lord will bring, will, will, it's not salvation. What word am I looking for here? He'll bring, come on people, help me out. Deliverance, thank you. Thank you, you guys. So he will deliver me from my shovel and from my shoveling duties. Okay? Remember that. So up here my prayer is, Lord, I will do it your way, not mine, even if it is for 40 years. Hand me a shovel. So maybe that could be our phrase. You know, hey, how are you doing this week? I've been doing a lot of shoveling. (laughs) Which basically means it's been a rough week. And I'm hoping it's going to be over um, soon. So sanctification, and I love this picture. Sanctification is cooperating with God, with the Lord, to change us and make us more Christ-like. The Lord is dismantling our self-centeredness. This is like my favorite picture ever. Do you see that the hand is underwater and Jesus is standing above the water? And we are where? We're underwater. (laughs) That's how we feel quite often, right? I thought that was great. Because Jesus is the one that pulls us up, doesn't he? And God's, um, God's desire for us is to make us like his son. Okay, we need to start with changing. If we're going to change, where do we need to start changing? What would be the thing that would be important for you to change? Well, I hope you just said my thinking patterns. I hope you said that. 
because we talked about that last week. You need to change your thinking patterns, but how do we do it? How do we change our thinking patterns? Anybody? Is it living the same way? Is it thinking the same thoughts? No? Um, if you have a problem with um, uh, Facebook, I'm just going to use that. Okay? Let's say you spend like two, three hours a day on Facebook. Guess what? That may be something you need to let go of and repattern something, right? So we want to change our thinking patterns and conform them to the Holy Spirit, what he's teaching us, and to be more Christ-like in our thinking patterns. So I brought this uh, scriptural reference from Ephesians to make her the church holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. There's our, there's our big clue. We need to get into the Bible. Why do we need to get into the Bible? Well, if we don't get into the Bible, then our thinking patterns are not going to change, are they? According to the Bible. So we're going to need to take some time with that. How are we doing on that this week? Have we been reading our Bibles? Yeah? Hey, listen, if you're not, it's okay. Just take five minutes. Set a timer. Get started. Put five minutes on your iPhone. When it rings, close the Bible. You're good for the day. Read for five minutes. If, you have, if you're not reading the Bible at all right now, read for five minutes only and go from there. See what the Lord does with it. <laughs> I know what the Lord's going to do with it, but it will be great, and you will be happy, even if it's just for five minutes. Um, love becomes a central theme for sanctification. Love? What do you mean, Jim? Love for the Bible? Love for God's Word? Did Jesus love the Bible? Did Jesus love the scriptures? What do you think? Of course. How do we know that? He quoted them all the time, right? Especially in conflict. In times of conflict, he always used the Bible, which is interesting. In our times of conflict, what do we do? We run around flailing our arms in the air and yelling and crying out and crying, right? Isn't that what we do? We get all freaked out. Holy moly, the world's coming unglued. And we start flapping. Oh, no. <laughs> Please, someone help me. We go talk to a friend. How about if we make that friend Jesus? Let's talk to him for a moment. Let's make that our first response. Rather than talking to a friend, let's go talk to Jesus. Make that the first response. And that's how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, is by reading the Bible, praying, and valuing the things Jesus values, right? God will bless you for doing that. I guarantee it. Love becomes the thing. So we love, we're loving God, we're trusting him, we put our faith in him, we love the Bible, we love prayer, we love coming and singing these wonderful songs that Chad picks out. Great job today, Chad. I could have thought of several of those things, like, the one where we're underwater, kind of a symbol was in there. I loved it. I was like, wow, that fits right into the sermon. I love it. Praise God. Sanctification is the deeper life with Christ. Now, here's an interesting thing that I wanted to put down that I did a while back. Dedicate your body to the Lord. Okay? Romans 6, uh, 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument for evil and serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead, <laughs> but we serve the God of life, right? But now you have new life. 
So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. I've done this prayer. Would you like me to to tell you the prayer that I prayed? This is the prayer of sanctification I prayed a long time ago. It was also the prayer that I prayed before I before I took my computer for the very first time and took this cord and shoved it into the phone line. I made this prayer. And then I, I, I will pray this. And you may want to think about this. Dear Lord, I give you my eyes so that they won't see what they shouldn't see. I give you my ears, Lord, so that they won't hear things they should not hear. I give you my hands, Lord, that they won't pick things up that would be that would defile my relationship with you. I give you my feet, Lord, that they will not walk into places where I should not be. I guess we could add to that now with our computer age, right? Lord, I give you my fingers that they won't text things that are not honoring to you. Right? Lord, I give you my fingers that hopefully these fingers will touch to bring comfort. I give you these fingers to text to bring comfort in my words that I say. Lord, I give you my feet that I will run to your side to serve you working with someone else in their life. Lord, I give you my hands. May they pick things up. May they help pick up my brothers and sisters that are in distress. May I use my hands to honor you in the work that I do. Lord, may my ears hear things that are of you and may I use my mouth to praise you and may I use my eyes to see you more clearly. I prayed that prayer and I prayed it, like I said, when I plugged in the computer and I can tell you I've never once looked at pornography on the computer. Men, you want to live a more sanctified life? If the computer is pulling you down, do not go online. Ladies, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you out. <laughs> Ladies, if romance novels or, or social media is your thing and that is overwhelming your life, you need to let it go. You want to live a sanctified life with the Lord? This is part of the journey. We're out in the desert right now, you know, journeying to the promised land. Let those things go. Use that time instead for you and your family, okay? Okay, being in the community of Christ is very important. This is central. Why? Because God brings blessings through his community. We hear the preaching of the word. We learn the Bible in this community. We, 
we also learn how to live the Christian life from each other. Very important. That's the way we learn to live the Christian life from each other. Hopefully, like right now. Um, we support each other through hard times. What does that mean? Okay, you ready? Here's another point that we're going to have to work on. That means we need to share our struggles with each other. That's uncomfortable. But we need to do it. And we need to learn the Bible from one another. Sanctification, the deeper life with Christ. I put it in a little chart for you. I hope that it's helpful. Are you all in? Are you? Are you, are you going to make that, are you gonna make that um, decision today to be all in? Are you all in? Well, if you are, you need to start changing your thinking patterns by reading the Bible, apply them in your life, use them, praise God as you go, and pray to the Lord. And remember, you're working cooperatively with the Holy Spirit to change you, to make you more Christ-like. So you're all in? Are you? If you're not, seriously think about that. And if you need to talk about it, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I put this next slide, and I'm like way out of time. Am I way out of time, or do I have time to read this? Do I, thank you. Yes, I love that man up there. I, I Here's what I did. I took, I took first... Um, First Peter, and I took it apart and put out just the uh, words. And I, and I think that these are important words. And, and the reason why is that we need to see ourselves this way, okay? So I'll read it to you. I am writing to God's chosen people who are, the, who are living as foreigners. Are we foreigners? Yes, we are foreigners in this land. God is protecting you by his power. Do we need to know that? Yes. He is, say it with me, God is protecting me with his power. Go ahead. God is protecting me with his power. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. 40 years of shoveling, right? Maybe 40 years of shoveling. But there will be joy. Um. You love him even though you have never seen him and you do not see him now. This is the big one. Ready? I trust you, Lord. Can you say that with me? I trust you, Lord. It will be to the salvation of our souls, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. I called it self-discipline. So you must live as God's obedient children. Do not slip back into the old ways of living. But now you, you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. You must show your sincere love for each other. You ready for this one? I will love my brothers and sisters. Can you say that with me? I will love my brothers and sisters. And he's talking about my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, get rid of all 
evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, grow into the full experience of salvation. You are a chosen people. God has chosen me. Can you say that with me? God has chosen me. You are a royal priest, a holy nation. I love this. This is great. God's very own possession. God owns everything. What do you mean this is his possession? You are more valuable than everything else he owns. Do you understand that? You are valuable. You are so valuable that he came and died for you. He shed his own blood. I think I should I think we should say I am God's own possession. Ready? I am God's own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness. The God of the darkness, and he's the God of light, isn't he? He's called us out of the darkness and into the wonderful light, for you are free. Yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your uh, freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, respect the king, patiently endure unjust treatment. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. Did he have a right as God to, to do that? Yes, he did, but he didn't do it. Yeah, I'm on the freeway. I could yell at that guy, but am I going to? No. No, I'm not going to. I'm going to say, praise God, I'm saved from the slave drivers, right? And this part, he left his case in the God's in God's hands. You leave your case in the hands of the Lord. He will provide. He will take care of it. Don't worry. It hasn't gotten past him. So, that you can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Last thing. Ready? I'm going to live for what is right. Ready? I'm going to live for what is right. So as Chad and the worship team come up, I'm going to pray. And I hope that you um, consider making the prayer of dedication of your body. Um, to the Lord and to dedicate yourself to the Lord in, this, in these manners which we've talked about. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are a great God. You are the God of life. You are the God of death. You are the God of light. You are the God of gods, the Lord of lords. You are our Father. You love us. We are your prized possession. Wow. Lord, help me to realize through this week to come, I am your prized possession and that you want to enter in into this relationship with me in such a way to change me, to make me more like your son. All I can say is humbly, we love you, Lord. And we thank you for speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.